The passage this morning that we just read, uh, it's not a popular passage. It shares company with some other unpopular passages in the scripture, like uh, 1 John, all of 1 John, uh, James, the book of James, uh, Galatians chapter 5. These are uncomfortable passages, and so they don't get preached very often. Uh, wonder why that is. They're uncomfortable because they make us feel uncomfortable. Because what Galatians chapter 5, 1 John, or yeah, the, book of, the entire book of 1 John, James, and 2 Peter chapter 1, 1 3 through 11, what they tell us is that faith, Salvation is more than faith. Now, we being raised in the South, we, we, are, we, we trumpet the famous word of Paul. Anybody got any duct tape? There we go. We trumpet the famous words of Paul, where Paul says, salvation is what? Through faith alone lest any man may boast, right? So here in the South, those are our favorite, that's our favorite passage. And so we think, well, as long as I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He was raised from the dead for my sins, and that He's going to come back someday, as long as I just believe those things, then I'm in. And I'm a believer. And I'm a Christian. Even though my life doesn't look like anything the Scriptures profess, my life's a complete mess, my relationships are broken. My children don't talk to me. I have struggled with so many things I can't even begin to describe. But I'm a Christian because I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Now you might be thinking I'm sounding a little funny, but that, that belief that as long as you just believe the, the very basic doctrines of the Christian faith, you're in. That's it. You're a believer. Born again. That's not what a Christian and that's not what salvation is. You're a Christian if you act like one. And if you don't, then you're not. Authentic What does an authentic Christian looks like? Because that's what Peter's talking about. The entire book of 2 Peter is about authenticity. Authenticity, there it is. It's about being an authentic believer, about preaching an authentic gospel. That's what the entire book's about. He's preaching, he's writing this book to some churches dispersed among Asia Minor, and they're having problems. Because there's preachers coming in and they're preaching the wrong thing. They're not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're preaching something that kind of looks like it, that kind of sounds like it, but it's not it. And they're being deceived. And so Peter is writing this book to church, writing this book to churches that are being deceived, and he says, Don't be deceived. You're not a believer just because you believe a few Christian things, just because you believe Jesus Christ came to earth, was crucified on a cross, was raised on the third day, 
and is now in heaven. He's going to come back and judge the quick and the dead. Those are, those are essential things to believe in. But if they're not supplemented, he uses the word supplemented with something else, it's not authentic. And I'm not preaching a gospel of works. Because good works won't get you into heaven. Only Jesus Christ will. Only faith will get us into heaven, but our faith isn't real if they don't have works. And this is what James says. This is why James is one of the least preached books in the gospel. What does James say? James, the book of James, he says, faith without works is dead. Not going to get you anywhere. It's like trying to buy groceries with a counterfeit $100 bill. Have you ever gone to the grocery store? And you, and you give them five 20s. What, you know what they do with those 20s? They take out a black marker and they swipe across those bills. Why? Because they're trying to see if they've been counterfeited, if they're fake. They don't want fake money. So if any of those bills turn up black, get that little black streak on it, it's fake. They got to call the they got to call the. the FBI, the FBI comes and gets it, and they're going to ask you a bunch of uncomfortable questions. <laughs> like, where you got it and when you have it. The grocery store only wants authentic dollar bills. Jesus Christ only wants authentic Christians. David, you were talking about a passage uh, in Sunday school about salvation. And I got up and left, not because I disagreed with you, but because I had to get the bulletin, the, the, the announcements and the, the stuff that we put on the board. So, yeah. But you were exactly right. In the passage that you preached, where you taught, Jesus says this. He, gives a, he, he tells a story about the end of days, doesn't he? He says, in the last days there will be some people that come to me saying, Lord, Lord. And, and I will say, what? Anybody finish it? Get away from me because I never knew you. Get away from me because I never knew you. Well, why didn't he know them? Because they weren't authentic. Folks, authentic. Let's do it again. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So how do we live this authentic life? How do we live the life of an authentic Christian? Somebody whose words matches their works. Somebody who you don't need to know is a believer to know they're a believer. How do you, how, where do you get that? Because you can't get it from yourself. Because myself is just a dark, deep pit of despair. I can't live this life on my own. It's like putting diesel in a gasoline tank. What happens if you put diesel in a, in a car that only takes pet, uh, gasoline, fuel? What happens? Am I the only one that's done that? <laughs> huh? It'll start sputtering and doing bad so sorts of things. All sorts of bad things. And then you won't, yeah. Then you got to take the fuel tank out. And you got to drain it and put new, then, 
Because I know a feller who did this, and his, his little kid was about six months old, and he put bad fuel in the car, goes down the road, and it shuts down on him. So I asked to call his auto mechanic teacher back from high school, go and borrow the tools from some stranger in the neighborhood he broke down in, and reassemble. Then he had to go walk, take the baby, walk, get some five gallons of gas, or a gallon of gas, however those little red tanks things are, um, what, one and a half gallons? Put the fuel back in the car, and then he was ready to go. Took him about two hours. Why? Because his car would not run on diesel. You cannot do this life on your own. You have to have God's divine power because you will mess up. You will hold on to grudges. You'll be bitter. You'll hang on to hurts. You'll wish ill for people. Yeah. You'll get cut off in traffic and say bad words. Yeah, it happens. I took David to the, op to the ophthalmologist in 2015. 16, 2016, I was in West Friendly, downtown Greensboro. Some, some person is driving, and he cuts me off, and I just about wrecked. I have to swerve on the oncoming traffic, and I got scared. David, in 2016, he was about four or five at the time, and I was forgotten he was even with me. And when that fellow cut me off, and he wasn't apologetic, he just swerved into my lane, and I had to swallow. It was ugly. And this word formed in my belly, and it crawled out of my throat. And before I can even think about it, it just out of my mouth. And I felt better about it. And then I heard a little voice giggling in the back seat. He'd never heard that word before. And he thought it was funny. And I never heard him repeat it. And I thought, I got by with it. Thirteen months later, we're at the state fair with church people from Archdale with the youth. And David thought he would just let everybody hear about that new word he learned 13 months ago. Because when Dad is driving, sometimes he's not using the Holy Spirit when people cut him off and put his life in danger. Sometimes that old flesh, that old sin nature will come out and it starts in my belly and it crawls out my throat and words start coming out and I can't stop it. You ever been that way before or am I the only one? Sin nature. You were born into sin. Now, as, as a therapist, as a, as a trained therapist, uh, ch child, child therapist, we are taught that everybody is born good, that everybody is essentially good, and that it's uh, your raising and your environment and, and, and things that turn folks bad. But the Bible says we were what? Born into sin. You were born bad, the scripture says. What did Job say? Job said, out of sin my mother conceived me and I was brought forth into the world. So, it's that sin nature. It's that first Adam, theologians call it. The first Adam. We inherited sin from, the, from, from Adam and Eve. And every child that's been born since has been born with this tendency to do bad things. And if you don't believe me, spend some time with children. 
What's the first word most children learn to say before anything else? No. no. And it's followed by footstamp. No. No. And anybody who says children don't lie have not spent much time with children. Because we're born that way. It's not their fault. It's that sin nature. But when we, the Bible says that we, when, we, when we accept faith, when we accept Christ Jesus into our hearts, that the Holy Spirit baptizes us in fire. That's why Quakers don't use water baptism because John says that I baptize with water but one comes after me that will baptize you in fire. And so if you ever wonder why Quakers don't use water baptism, it's because the Holy Spirit baptizes us in fire. And when you've been baptized in fire, you don't need water. So when you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, you're not supposed to struggle with these things anymore. But we do. Because we're human. But if we live by His divine power, we'll be able to make it by Verse 4, by these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. Evil desire. If you're a highlighter, if you're a note taker, highlight that. Evil desire. So, you are a person... And people are an interesting things, clinically. Can I speak with you on a clinical level? Put on our clinical hats. When you do things that are not good for you, your brain shoots off a chemical. Okay? Synapses start firing off endorphins to your brain. And so when you do something you're not supposed to do, your brain recognizes that, sends you in a rush of endorphins. And again, folks, this is the same chemical that folks get when they when they do cocaine or heroin or any other kind of drug, it's that endorphin rush they get. When you lie, when you cheat, when you gossip, when you have that parking lot meeting after monthly meeting and gossip about people, your brain is shooting off endorphins. And it makes you feel good. So what? So you do it again. Your body is designed to do things that God does not want us to do. We, our nature, our evil desire. It makes us feel good to talk down to other people. It makes us feel good to point out the flaws in people. Doesn't it? Well, bless their heart. You ever heard of that? Bless their heart. Bless her heart. She can never get to church on time. And when she does, her children are dirty and they haven't been washed. Bless her heart. Folks, that is evil talk. Evil talk. Because you're, you're tearing somebody down. Paul talks about gossip in 1 Timothy. If you don't believe me, go home, read 1 Timothy. He talks about gossip in 1 Timothy. You know what he tells uh, Timothy about the church in Ephesus. They're talking about each other. You know what he says? He says, tell them to shut their mouths. Because gossip and idle talk will destroy a church. It will destroy a church. Every church split that's ever happened in the history of the world started with a handful of people 
talking about things they shouldn't be. There's no exception to that rule. Gossip destroys churches every time. And it's evil and it's from Satan. But we do it because our brain is wired to like things that are bad for us. So we talk about folks and our, our endorphins start squirting juice. Our synapses start squirting juice called endorphins. And it makes us feel better. And so we keep doing it, trying to get that, trying to get that rush again, trying to get that high. And it's not just with gossip, it was, it was with anything bad that messed with too. And that's why Paul talks about right here, where we get to the meat of this talk. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. Goodness with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. 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 That's where that comes in. When there's things you know you're not supposed to do, but you do them anyway. And I don't have a lot of self-control when it comes to the chocolate chip cookies. The doctor tells me I'm not supposed to eat them. <clears throat> but when I get to work to church about an hour before my wife does, uh, who made those chocolate chip cookies this morning? <laughs> Somebody made. Who did? I need your number, Doris. No, I have it. Who? May made them. Huh? May. I can't hear Doris. Somebody made them, and they were the best cookies I've ever had in my life. Meg, is that, was that you? I'm coming to your house next week. <laughs> Cookies. Love them. Not supposed to have them. Something about blood sugar and triglycerides in the two or three hundreds. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. But uh, I know when I get to church at about 8.45, 9 o'clock, that's an hour before Kelly and David get here. And some sort of cookies will be out. Maybe not always Meg's, but some, some sort of cookies will be out. I don't have any self-control when it comes to food. It's my weakness. But you know what? How about other things? How about, we'll go back to gossip. Self-control. When there's somebody doing something that you don't like, that bugs you, instead of going to that person, which Jesus tells us to in the Gospel of Matthew, says if, there, if a, your brother or sister is in sin, you go to that person. But it's easier just to go around their backs. Why? So we don't have to deal with that messy confrontation, even though it might help our brother or sister who's doing something that could hurt themselves. We do it for their benefit, but we gossip for our benefit because it makes us feel better. It lifts us up by tearing people down. And it's not just gossip. It's anything that you're struggling with. So self-control, if you are a believer, if you've been walking the faith, if you have an authentic faith, you have <coughs> excuse me, self-control. You have goodness. Is there much goodness in your life? In your relationship? It's a good question to ask yourself. 
What do you do when the eyes of the world are not watching? Is there much goodness there? I deal, uh, as I've told before, I'm working with a new company. I'm an intensive intensive in-home therapist, which is a big word. It means I go into people's homes with children that are having a hard time. Now I work with boys and girls. Uh, Before, in my old job, I mostly just worked out and solely only worked with boys. Now I work with boys and girls. But when I was working in the group homes, I used to talk about what's a young man, and we talk about integrity. And they ask me, what's integrity? And I say, integrity is being able to be by yourself with nobody watching and still do the right thing. No matter what that is, no matter where you are, do the right thing. Integrity. Good Goodness with self-control. Self-control with endurance. Endurance with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. Do these things describe you? If they do, congratulations. Welcome to the kingdom of God. But if not, if not, you need to get back to the basics. Maybe you're not praying enough. Because I find when I pray and I'm in my scriptures and I'm doing the right things, the right things come easy to me. But when I'm not, when I work 60, 70, 80 hours, and David is needing something, and Kelly wants time, and and other family members need things, and I just don't have time to get in the Word, the right thing tends to be hard to do. Old Chinese proverb. Grand, uh, grand, uh, little, little boy who talked to his grandpa and said, Grandpa, I want to do bad things. And the grandpa says, there's two dogs fighting inside of you. <clears throat> one's evil and one's, one's good. And he says, well, grandpa, which one is going to win? And he says, the one you feed. So are you feeding your flesh or are you feeding your spirit? Feeding your spirit. Giving to people that need it. Feeding the hungry. Last time I preached this sermon, I decided I was going to keep $20 in my pocket. Now that, tell you how long ago that was, that was before Dave was born. And Kelly and I went to Costco's. About three days before payday. But we saved enough money to get groceries for the rest of the month and not much else. And so this person... Corner Wendover and whatever whatever Costco is it was in that corner there, and he was panhandling, homeless, need help, hungry, and I felt that pull on my spirit to pull over and hand him that twenty I kept in my pocket, and I said, Lord, I need that twenty because we might not have enough money to get our groceries and we need to you know 
da 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 and X, Y, Z. But I'll ask, I'll, the next person that asks me for money, no matter what I have, I'll give it to them. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, okay. And I felt better, almost like I won an argument with God. So we went to the grocery store, and Kelly's putting things in the, the cart, and all the while I'm looking around, because I know how God works. And nobody's coming up to me, so we get some extra things. And some things we probably shouldn't get, but we'll get anyway, because we got money. Pay for it, leave. It was a Saturday night. I had $30 to last me till Monday. And Kelly and I like to go get chicken on Sunday afternoon sometimes. That was my chicken money. Where was that place uh, in Pleasant Garden we used to go to? Buffet on Sunday. Uh, right beside Quaker Lake. On the, on the 62 on Quaker Lake. You know what I'm talking about? Backyard drill. How long have I been? People shouldn't let me out, I tell you, they really shouldn't. Is that better? Alright. So that was my backyard money. That was my buffet money. I got paid by the church on a Sunday, go to the bank Monday, good for the rest of the month. Had it planned. Didn't have a penny in savings. Didn't know what a 401 was. But that was, shoot, that was 2011. You were pregnant with David. Get to the car, load the car up. And a lady walks up to me and I go, really, Lord? I said, how can I help you? She said, I need a drive, I need a ride home. Where do you live? Well, I live behind Hobby Lobby in High Point. I said, yeah, I used to go to school up there. That's where John Wesley and High Point University is. Oh, take your right there. Take about 20 minutes. She said, all right. I was like, okay, well, this ain't bad. I can give her a ride. And she starts talking about, telling me her story. And the reason why I become a therapist is because I love hearing people's stories. And so when I meet somebody new, the first thing I'll ask them is, tell me a story. So she started telling me her life story. And it was filled with brokenness and heartache and betrayal and poverty. Couldn't catch a break. Had three kids at home hungry. And then I started to feel less good. So she's talking. She's in the back. go to this kind of rough part of town in High Point. I had a, my pregnant wife with me and I start feeling comfortable. <clears throat> and God started convicting me with some things, some predispositions that I had in my own heart that weren't Christian. And uh, in my mind, I said, all right, Lord, all I have is $30. If she asks, I kept changing the deal on it. If she asks for what I have, then I'll give it to her. But if she asks for a hundred bucks, I don't have it, so I can just say, oh, I don't have that, and send her on the way. Holy Spirit said, okay. All right. I'm going to the backyard tomorrow. There's no way she's going to ask for $30. Pull into her house. She tells me, God bless you. And then she says, by the way, my kids are hungry, and I need about $30 to feed them this 
Abierto. I could have just given her the money and not argue with God for 20 minutes about it. I could have thought about somebody other than myself. But I was 26, 27, still kind of dumb. You ask my wife, she might say I'm still kind of dumb sometimes. And I am. But, it's that, but, but the Christian life is about growing in grace. It's about becoming authentic, but authenticity takes time. So how about you? Is your life an authentic one? Is your faith an authentic one? Are the terms self-control, endurance, godliness, goodness, brotherly affection, and love, do they describe you? Because it says right here, he finishes, it says, The person who lacks these things is a blind man and has forgotten the cleansing of his past sins. Do we know what that means? It means he's not a Christian anymore. He's forgotten it. He's gone back to the world. He's turned back to the world. He's, he's the person who doesn't have knowledge of God and goodness and loveliness and brotherly affection and self-control and endurance. The, the person who doesn't have this thing he or she, no longer a believer. Inauthentic faith. This is right here. Therefore, brothers and sister, sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. And that's where we end it. Confirm your calling. How, how do you know you have an authentic faith? Because your faith has been confirmed. How has it been confirmed or completed? Because you're acting like the person that he's describing in the previous verses. That's how you know you've been confirmed. Your faith has been confirmed. It's been consummated. It's been completed. But until then, don't stop. Because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the internal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth you now have. I think it's right, as long as I am in this bodily tent, to, make, to wake you up with a reminder. What's he saying? He's saying, even though you may have these things and do these things and be confirmed with an authentic faith, never forget them. Because the minute you stop, the minute you start saying no to needy people, the minute you start talking about people that you think you're better than, the minute you start living like the world, guess what? You're inauthentic. You're counterfeit. And your faith doesn't count. And that's not Peter, and that's not just Peter. Galatians chapter 5. 1 John. You know what, 1, what the Gospel of John what he says in 1 John chapter 2? I think it's chapter 2. He says, if anybody says he's a Christian and hates his brother, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. James says, faith without works is dead. 
It's not just Peter. All scripture confirms this. That it takes more than just knowledge of God to be a believer. It takes actions. But praise be to the Lord that God gives us grace. And I still got time to get there. So do you.